Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name's Peter Howard, at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts. And uh, what the heck, it's basically the off-season already, right? Right? There's like three people in every league who still care. M- maybe less. So uh, I thought we'd just keep up on, here on the Crossroads with the uh, start of the off-season content. And I thought we'd talk about... Someone mentioned doing a video on ranking in tiers... Um, stats I like to use for rookie evaluation and I thought we'd start by just uh, talking about rookie stats by position um, that I like to look at uh, starting with wide receiver so yeah let's do that this week all right I can't I can't hear you I I, I didn't care let's just do it do you have the time to listen to me grind take down the film watchers and learn some at once I am one of those skeptical of status quo, lazy and to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I grind my Excel sheets, sometimes pour cold water on heat. When the math's not adding up, you bet I'm checking out. Welcome to the crowd. Yeah, welcome back to the crossroads. Um, uh, this is one of those ones that I've recorded once and decided it just sounded a little too rambly, a little, a little too crossroadsy. So let's try it again. Yeah, someone asked me for uh, to do a video about a tier list for stats, which is an interesting idea. I've actually done YouTube videos like that. And the weird thing is, I get better and better at YouTube every day. And that is very distressing when you consider how good I am at YouTube at this point. That poor, ooh, not good. But instead of sharing that mess, um, I thought I'd just dig back into rookie stats and try to do something like a tier list um, for rookie evaluation stats. Looking at college stats and which ones I use and which ones I use the most and why and how. And how there is no stat uh, or combination of stats that really solves rookie evaluation. It's really just getting a composite picture of how good a player was in college. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what we're going to do today. Um, Essentially, I don't know, boil everything down to a two-step process. uh, For actual decisions in your fantasy football lineup. Something we're doing right now, despite the... horribleness of week 15 um to compare it to that you've got the the off-season process where you evaluate players overall career path previous year's stats and um, improvements on the team and we can make pretty good ranges of outcomes predictions right 
especially with breakouts now, um, especially with overall volume, if healthy, this can happen. If injured, this can happen. If the team struggles, um, obviously you're looking at the bottom range of outcomes and so on and so forth. But when it comes down to week-to-week decisions, you really have to try to include strengths of schedule into it, or at least matchup. Because strengths of schedule, especially when we predict it for the season, is just basically a myth. It's a necessary and worthy intellectual exercise. But ultimately, we learn so much about how effective and ineffective a defense and an offense is going to be as the season progresses. That projecting the entire season out is ultimately a worthless exercise. And strengths of schedule is kind of suck that way. Even week to week, after we get data about how well these offenses and defenses are performing this season... You still still get a lot of surprises. That's, that's that's why it's gambling on some level. Reality often disagrees with what should happen, and we just kind of all have to live with it until we start simulating this stuff. So that's kind of the two-step process of playing in a league or playing your roster. You know, you're trying to make the best decisions of who to trade for, who to draft ahead of anyone else based on range of outcomes prediction projections and dynasty value that's why so many people find the value in dynasty an interesting quotient um, or value uh, to use when you enter a dynasty league because value is a little more sure because we are much more predictable than reality in other words we know how we react to the top and bottom range of projections for a player um, better than we do what's actually going to happen. We can't predict the future. Fu- we can't predict the future, but we can predict our reaction to um, certain types of futures fairly accurately, especially when it comes to age and dynasty, for example, or career arcs or breakouts and so on and so forth. And so that's what makes it so useful and interesting. Why you can uh, entirely play dynasty just through a value lens because we are a little more predictable than reality. Uh, That's at least how I see it. Now, when it comes to rookie evaluation, again, boiling it down to a two-step process, I want to try to identify who was effective at establishing and then performing on a high role, a higher-than-average role, no matter where they played for, either in conference or or team-level adjustments, don't really make a lot of sense. There isn't a lot adjustments I've seen, tested, or tried to make that have actually improved the ability of stats to project a player into the NFL. Ultimately, most adjustments make players that struggle to uh, perform fantasy in the NFL, at least, uh, look better than they are. Very few are elevated by team adjustments or conference adjustments um, and actually all worthy of adjusting. And basically, it's just Ohio State. If we if we adjusted up Michael Thomas uh, and Terry McLaurin, that's, 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 that's the list. And it's also worth pointing out, we're talking about fantasy, which is basically, we're just like leeches. Their path and success in the NFL and fantasy just is generated off what they do. And we're just kind of leeching, leeching off what they're actually trying to accomplish. So, so it's worth pointing out that we're never actually trying to project fantasy football. We're trying to project fantasy football, which is a slightly different thing altogether. At least I try and keep that in mind. So that's the first and I, I think we and I have become specifically better and better at being able to identify players who are able to generate or establish for themselves large roles, significantly large roles, um, and perform on those roles. Now, there are misses like Nikhil Harry. It's a very clear miss. Andy Isabella, someone recently reminded me of. Um, Tua Atwell uh, was uh, capable of doing that. But and was drafted highly, but draft capital comes in uh, in the second section, or always has primarily for me. 
which is something I want to talk about in a bit. But um, there, there are definitely misses, but ultimately that's what I know we're capable of identifying and has a clear signal for making us more often choose or select or draft or hype or like whatever. Um, players are more likely to be successful into the NFL. And that's counter to draft capital. Now, that's where it gets slightly more complicated because there are plenty of players that didn't get quite the draft capital you would have expected based on how they transferred to the NFL because that's the section, second section, guessing how well they're going to transfer to the NFL. First is establishing who did and didn't establish a significantly high role and performed on it. And the second section is how they're going to translate that to the NFL. But I'm still stuck in the third section right now. Um, we're, we're readily able to do that, but there are still some drafted relatively low that then outperform as if the draft capital was just a lie. But then there are also ones like Tutu Atwa, Andy Isabella, uh, even Christian Kirk until this year, really, who seem to significantly perform both their ability to establish that role and perform on it in college and the draft capital, which they were able to capture, be given, whatever. Um, at the NFL draft. And so there's no real clear line. I'm often uh, a fan of this on this podcast and everywhere else I make contact, pointing out how unicorn-like most NFL receivers are, even playing a similar type of role for a similar type of offense, running a similar type of way, they all play the position slightly differently, and they all ultimately are built slightly differently, even in that scenario. And so creating a homogenous role or unifying model or statistic that we just that's the answer is not only currently unavailable um, as far as I can tell it's wholly impossible however if you get a good idea of which players established a significantly high role and performed on that role no matter what conference and or a, a team they played for then you are probably identifying the players who are more likely to perform in the NFL now, I've always put draft capital itself as the most significant factor into that second section, the second part of the process, which is guessing, like I said, who's going to transfer those roles or whatever they're able to do with college into the NFL. It's also worth noting at this point that some are unable to establish a significantly high role in performing it because of a limited sample size. In other words, they were injured or COVID, but there are relatively few um, that seem to do well uh, above average with enough sample size like an entire season then fail to perform on it uh, based on draft capital. And the exceptions this year are Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore was able to do that in college in his first year and ultimately never played a full year after that. Jamar Chase, similar thing, but he essentially opted out that last year as well. Um, and that's where that second section comes in. Draft capital told us that it was okay, that they were ultimately going to uh, be granted a certain amount of opportunity because that's essentially what I will see uh, draft capital as. The, uh, the ease with which they're going to garner opportunity and the, the speed with which we can hope they can earn um, the opportunity with which that draft capital gives them, then hopefully a little bit more, especially if they're not drafted in the first round. Um, and uh, also the confidence that the team has uh, to grant them that opportunity with draft capital. However, I think Jamar Chase and Rondell Moore often, and also Jalen Waddle offer interesting examples of this two-step formula in that Jalen Waddle really didn't even hit the threshold for significant playing time to really, for me, to make a full judgment. Now, something I've noticed in my process is other people using bad process to like a player makes me rank that player lower. And that's bad process. That's Their process shouldn't affect my ranking of a player necessarily. And ultimately... Everything was there for Jalen Waddle apart from a shortened sample size, much like 
um, Jamar Chase and uh, Rondo Moore, who I liked well and had him ranked significantly highly. But um, Jamar Chase had everything else in the second process going from, including higher draft capital. And this is also where I would build in the descriptive element of stats, which includes combine stats, but we'll get to the tier list in a second. And also listening and trying to get a good comprehension of other people's process, looking at different information or the same information in a different way, which is ultimately where a lot of people who like to evaluate with tape purely or as an addition come in and then i'll listen to zachary jake anderson when he's willing to pipe up and he's mostly retired from the fantasy space but he's still on twitter he still puts out uh, um, opinions on people's tape evaluation and also occasionally i'll dm him dm him when there's particularly difficult evaluation because i i really trust his process Zach Reed's another one. Another one, if you're looking to add a list, is Derek Brown. He's uh, definitely growing in the space. I think he's far larger than me at this point, so you're probably aware of him. But uh, uh, Debo underscore FF on Twitter, I think it is. He's, he's definitely someone I take seriously when I'm listening. And Ray GQ as well is another big-time tape, primarily tape grinder. I like listening to Travis May from Rotoviz, both on analytics and on film, especially since Travis pays a lot of attention to these players in college. And I think that provides him an extra depth of knowledge and the process, um, or, or or their career in general, and so he's always interested to listen to, and he watches tape as well, I believe, as does Anthony Amico. There's a whole list that I've got of people I trust, and I'll take in what they think to try and adjust what I don't know from um, the first uh, first part of the process, which I'll get back to as well. Hopefully, if I remember all these things, then I'm going to try and get back to. So that's the second part of the process. A large part of it is draft capital, and that's really where it comes in for me. 2-2 Atwell is high, but usually I'd expect him to be draft, uh, drafted in the third or fourth round or even lower, and that would automatically adjust and the fact that he was able to establish that role and perform on it in college with the unusual nature of him being built like a four-year-old, basically. Basically, he was a teenager in terms of his physical build. Normally, in the NFL would draft that guy low, and it would automatically adjust in that there was potential and hope there. But really, we shouldn't have the same expectations for most second-round picks. But I would like him a lot because of his ability to establish that role in college. And then the Rams draft him in the second round, and we really just don't know what to do with that. Now, Jamar Chase and uh, Rondell Moore, who I like both, but had uh, not as limited as Jalen Water, but still a limited sample size from college. Everything on tape helped bolster what my overall opinions were on their stats, which is that Jamar Chase was a full picture, and Rondell Moore was very interesting and definitely a good player, but he was a little bit less likely to hit in the NFL. His role was going to be significantly different. So, cool. That's how I built their uh, a snapshot of how I built my rankings for them. Jalen Waddle, I elevated way too low, and I think it's just that bias for other people using teammate score because it's not really a thing. And uh, ultimately led me to pushing J- Jalen Waddle too low. I definitely got his rank wrong this year. He's a primary one I feel like I should have done better on, um, but I know what I think I know what the root cause is. All right, now that's the process. We can talk all day about the best stats and how you just have to have a certain college dominator. Here's the thing. It's it, it's either misguided or a fucking lie. I'm sorry. It's just a fucking lie because that's, it never works that way. 
It just doesn't. You have to get a decent idea of whether a player impressed in college. Now, the way to understand if their statistics are impressive, before we even talk about what statistics I look at, is to understand what is impressive. Now, personally, I pretty much have a three-tier process. With wide receivers, the average of their stats tends to be better than looking at their best year or their last year or their first year. Just look at their overall average, not adjusted per game. Just that average for any particular stat that you happen to like or think has value for predicting success into the NFL. The average tends to win. And now, the reason my market share or college database or whatever we call it these days is so complicated or feels complicated when you first see it is because I'm not I'm looking at relatively few stats. So uh, interesting stats, for sure. Very useful stats, I find. Um, but really, we have combine stats, we have receiving yards, we have receptions, we have touchdowns, and then a few things that we popularly calculate, like height-adjusted speed score, weight-adjusted speed score, pretty well-known terms. And if you want to know those formulas, or also in the formulas and results tabs, I realized they were pretty hard to track down for myself, so I started posting the formulas in there too, in case you wanted to know what was making up these things. Um Receiving yards per pass attempt, just overall yards per team pass attempt, so not just receiving yards, but all yards generated, which I thought might be interested for running backs and also uh, quarterbacks. Maybe it would be useful over there. And then I look across this three-tier system, trying to understand if they established a large role and performed on it well across really a three-level uh, three system. Now, with wide receivers specifically, when I test best, first, last, average across all that, the, the main way of looking at a stat that always generates the best or the, the most useful predictive score into how well they're going to do in the NFL is looking at their average. Does that mean you only look at their average? Well, that's kind of up to you because how much time do you want to spend on this? If you're just going to look at one thing, I strongly suggest you look at the stats that you think are relevant or you think are best and look at their average. Not their best year, last year, first year. Having said that, I wouldn't suggest you just look at one thing. The whole goal here is to get a decent idea of if they established a large role and performed on it. If they only did that one year, then you want to know why, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad. I mean, Jamar Chase, Rondell Moore, and Jalen Waddle, even smaller, less than a year dominated um, for a significantly small amount of time. If you only looked at their average, they have a slight issue there, especially if they racked up games but didn't rack up stats because of injury or because of playing behind a more dominant player or other things that might happen. Now, that doesn't actually tend to happen with wide receiver, but it is potentially something that can limit a player's ceiling at least. And if there is another issue in another season, they can lower their average unfairly. And there is significant reason to think that looking at a player's best year, this is where a dominator scores, college dominator, for example, is often trying to balance last and best because looking at their height of production is relatively interesting when you remove or they have all obstacles removed. What's the ultimate uh, role or volume or performance are able to uh, put up in college is an interesting look. But in and of itself, if you're only going to look at one, the best is going to lie to you more often than the average will. And that's why I'd say the average is the first way I look at any particular stat. I just go look at the average of what they did in college. Now, what's the context? What is a good or a bad number? Outside of grinding averages for every player ever, well, what's a good number? Well, well, in the formula results thing, they actually have, you know, what's the average stat for successful players, for example, and that's my key eye reference. Players that have had a top 36 season before did this on average in college, or this in their best year in college on average, and it is an easy reference, and it's what I use for a lot of age-adjusted stats, 
but that's neither here nor there. Another way of thinking about it is the context of who we're looking for, looking at players who are successful in the NFL and played in college. Now, again, I have never found conference adjustments to do diddly squat except make a worse player or player that transitioned worse to the NFL look better and players that did transition to the NFL look worse. That's just my experience. I've written it up a lot of different times, but at this point, I'm, I'm tired of t explaining certain research that people are obviously are not going to go read, so I'm just going to say it's my experience. But especially on the crosswords, you probably know I'm doing my homework. <laughs> when I say my experience, I mean, yeah, I literally went and looked line by line, and it's not a thing. It's just not a thing. Don't believe it, though. I, I, I'm, I'm tired of explaining things because no one wants to go read. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. So what I look for is the average first at wide receiver. I also look how well they perform compared to successful players in the NFL at different ages. Yeah, I know. What about first and second year and sophomore? And yeah, I looked. In my experience, it doesn't help, okay? Again, literally written, podcasted, done videos, literally line by line explaining how and why. No one cares, no one wants to listen, no one wants to read, so you're just getting a, in my personal experience, it doesn't work, even though it's literally factually true. There are too many actually successful people in this industry pushing the idea, so no one, no one's going to believe little or me, so I'm just leaving it with a, in my experience, all right? So I go look at age, not sophomore, not first year, because in my experience, it's trash. Um, and next, I go literally on a team and conference level. Now, I don't make conference or team adjustments, but to get a good sense of if a player established a large role and performed on it, I literally have a tab in my database, which is by year. So I can just filter by team or conference and by year and look relative to that year. Since I wasn't experiencing their career as it went on, like Travis May, I'm an outsider coming in, how well does it actually rank? How well does it actually look in the context of his team? Not, does he have another great player and that's limiting him? Because honestly, it doesn't seem like we can prove uh, ultimately that helps or hurts uh, a player's stats in terms of affecting its predictiveness into NFL success. So I just want to get a good sense of where they lie in their team's makeup as their career progressed, and through their conference, through this era, especially right now, that's ultimately important because the college era, like the NFL era right now, is so is suffering such unique setbacks um, than we've seen in the last 10 or the last 20 years that looking at them relative to the last three years is relatively helpful. So when I go to look at a wide receiver stat for rookie evaluation, that's the way I do it. I look at their average. I break it down to how well that average compares to other players that were successful at the ages that they played. So if they only played at age 20 and 21, I'm only going to compare them to the average of players who were successful when they were 20 and 21. And I also look team by team. Now, again, my database gets voluminous, not because there's so much in there, but because I have the three-tier system. I have the, the publicly available stats. I have the various stats that people like to look up calculated, and then I have them broken down into three distinct tiers. Also, I have it broken down with first, last, best, and average, because people continually ask, well, what about if we break it down that way? Well, have fun. I'll just put it in there, and you can have fun. Personally, I find the age better, but cool. So, And also, it's a good reference if you want to make a model with it. You just use the average instead of trying to multiply everyone's year 20 or year 19, depending when their last, name, last year was. All right. So, uh, yeah, and I, I have this three-tier system literally laid out in the database. The stats that I like to look at, you can look at them as they compare to players who played at that age, 
and were successful. You can see their average and you can see how well they compared to their team and their conference over the last eight years. That's what that's why there are so many extra columns in there because it's the same stat, four columns for each stat, best first, last, and average, and then adjusted by the age, adjusted by their conference, as well as their average. Um, and it's all in there at the same time, because I could shrink it to just one or two numbers that I like to look at primarily, or primarily used in models. But then if you wanted to test and create a better model or a different model, or you wanted to look at a different stat, it wouldn't be there because I wasn't using it. And so instead I put it all in there. So it's actually a relatively simple database. It's the same thing through three different looks, and often just four or five different stats ultimately, and then all the raw stats by age listed to the right, followed by their combined stats. It just looks more voluminous than it is, and I think it freaks a lot of people out actually, but that's ultimately all it is. So when asked to make a tier list for rookie evaluation, that's all, like, I can't shrink that down any smaller. I'm sorry it seems like a waffle at the start, but think about it when you say a player's dominator rating, well, which year? When they were 18, what was their dominator? Because do all dominator is, it's a percentage of touchdowns and receiving yards. But which year? Their whole career? Well, do you do it per game? Do you do it just in the games that they played? Or do you do all the yards that the team played, even if they only played one? You can understand that there's multiple ways of actually calculating dominator. And now most sites and most places that you go to look at it, it's really not explained. You get one number as if it can re be represented in one number. And that's usually because that's the number they prefer. That's the one they find the most useful, most predictive, whatever. So that's fine. But what if it's wrong? Because I'm not not seeing a lot of formula results tabs pa pa uh, posted. And honestly, m most, most of them are wrong. It turns out if you actually go look at it a different way, there's a better way of calculating it. There's a more predictive way of actually looking at it, especially if you're allowed to look at all of it. You can do the three-tier process to get a decent idea. And all you're looking for not is not for crossing a threshold or a specific number, but a general sense in your opinion because it's an opinion sport, rookie evaluation, even with analytics, if they establish a significantly high role, again, I weigh significant as above the average at the ages they were playing, and also the above the average of the situation they were playing in, both in terms of teams and conference. And if the average was higher than most players that have gone on to be successful in the NFL, I would weigh that as significantly high. And how well they performed on it. Now, uh, both of those things should be evaluated, their overall role and how well they performed on it. But my favorite tier one stat kind of trying to merge both of those together, which means that I don't have to do that three-tier process over multiple stats. I really just have to look at one, and one's doing a decent job of both combining both together, which is why I like it, and also probably why it's more predictive. Either way. So that's... There's no way of me making that smaller to start to end where I started that little rant. Like, I get that you just want a list of stats, but if I say market share of receiving yards, immediately when you go and try and look, you'll be like, all of them? Oh, you should, honestly, if you're getting given a decent data source. One of your first questions when looking at that player's career is, are they looking at the average or the, the best year or all the years combined? It's a relatively simple question when you go to start looking up stats. Do I look at Jalen Waddell's average? Is, like, which market share of receiving yards? And that's my answer. I look at the average first. And then I will also look at how well the average compares to other players that were successful, which is an age adjustment or 
the average of players that were successful at the ages they were playing. And again, their team and conference. I don't adjust by team and conference, but I do put it in context of their team and in context of their conference by filtering through that by-year tab to, a, to make a personal assessment. Now, I also have models pre- and post-draft to try and manually or automatically do that process. But... I mean, because of the nature of wide receivers, I honestly think, and just reality, breaking uh, should have, could have, would have type uh, processes, and way too often, and really only getting one first round pick, I don't expect nor really attempt anymore to create a perfect model that automates that process. It does a different approximation of probably what I would end up thinking if I broke them all down. But what else am I doing here obsessing about fantasy football? I may as well also go and break all those players down and see where I disagree with my model. And so my ranks will always or almost always slightly differ from what my even my post draft model says. It's just the way it is. Because it's better, and also at least then I've made a decision. If I get it wrong, I know why. And honestly, I've always found that the most fun way of playing fantasy football. I'm okay getting stuff wrong. I'm actually great. That's I'm great at getting stuff wrong, and I actually enjoy it because it's a chance to learn something that I got wrong. Why might I very might I have gotten that one wrong? In the case of Jalen Waddle, I really think it's just a a tendency to want to react to something that I know isn't true being placed on a player, but that's got nothing to do with that player. All right. And so, yeah, all of that aside, what are the stats I actually apply or go and look or break down a player to decide if they established a large role in performance? Well, my tier one, number one stat is receiving yards per team pass attempt. That's their receiving yards divided by their team's passing attempts. Now, the way I calculate it, because I find it to create the most useful number with R-squared testing, is I take their average receiving yards per game divided by their team's average attempts per game. Now, that is slightly different than a number of other ways. I don't know how anyone else calculates it, to be honest, uh, which is why I started, another reason I started creating the Formula Results tab is because there's really not a lot of annotation of how you calculated that. Because you could just take the overall receiving yards and divide it by the overall team's attempts, but that seems disingenuous. I do go per game um, if the player has played more than eight games, a significant number of times, that's the number of games it tends to take before a stat actually has relevance to a player in college. It's been backed up by some Roto World testing by Matt Spencer, the, the man himself, the nerd, uh, the obsessive nerd with sample size, in my opinion, himself. So uh, I like to use that eight-game threshold. If they don't hit that threshold, they just get a zero. They get a little dash. They don't have a stat for that year. They didn't play enough, which is where we get into trouble, especially lately with the new changes to transfers in college. We're getting a lot more players that seem to do well, but are playing too few games um, before they declare for the NFL. And that limited sample size has hurt us with Chase Claypool a little bit, but really I think I just missed there because there was one good year, one bad year. Jalen Waddle, I th definitely think it's hurt overall, but the potential was there to notice it if I hadn't have reacted to someone else's uh, use of a different kind of process or someone else's this is, there are many I'm not calling one person out or anyone um, and uh, who else was it I, it wouldn't have helped with uh, Michael Thomas it wouldn't have helped with Terry McClellan they just look bad we still don't know what's going on there it seems to be a team issue um, who else turned out to be good but didn't do that in college 
I, I, I've done a number of articles listing out the ones that actually look like direct outliers. In fact, the, and there's relatively few. That's the thing. If you do this, you are more likely to see it in the NFL, despite draft capital, which is where it becomes particularly useful. The, diff- the most difficult part with this section one of the process is the number who do it and then don't go on to be successful in the NFL, like we mentioned with Tutu, Andy Isabella, Christian Kirk for a little while there, Corey Davis, but he's had some success. Devontae Parker, but eventually had some success um, and is having some more now, actually. So it gets a little difficult. And it's where I like to point out here that these stats are really thresholds at best, and they're not exponential. To put it in the context of dominator rating, if you have a 45% dominator and someone else has a 35% dominator at age 19, both are over the average for that threshold at dominator rating. But... Just being 45 instead of 35 in two entirely different team situations doesn't mean that the guy with a 45% dominator is 10% more likely to be successful or is going to be 10% more successful. It's not exponential in that fashion. Both have hit the threshold, which is where we get a lot of players who look good and it's hard to sift through. That's where actually breaking down their overall career arc helps, even when players are drafted relatively similarly. All right, so I wanted to throw that note out here as well. Since we're refreshing, we're starting off the off-season constant with just basic snapshots of the evaluation process, I thought I'd try and fit in that little caveat there too. All right, so receiving yards per team pass attempt through that three-tiered process is my favorite step. The next one is market share receiving yards, which is really just receiving yards percentage. I also have a little, I don't get why we call it market share, but it was called that long before I even knew what fantasy football was, so I'm just going to keep calling it that. And my third stat, and also third tier stat, is actually dominator scores. Now, I'm not talking about college dominator, where you average the best and worst, because I don't, I get that, I get the point of it, just trying to create a single number, but ultimately, I don't have to look at one number, and it definitely isn't the best number to look at, so at some point, why do I care? Yeah, I mean, the best and last isn't even the two best seasons to look at. The average is, so whatever. Look at the average of Dominator, that would be better. But I don't have to. I can actually look at year-to-year Dominators, as in their percentage of touchdowns and receiving yards in each season, so you can see how well they progressed as a significantly high or low part of the offense. And again, compare that to players playing at the same age and players playing on their team in relatively recent history, and you get a decent sense of how successful they were at developing a large role and performing on that role just using dominator scores. It is less predictive, but it is the next one I kind of like to look at after market for receiving yards, because yards are better, touchdowns are a little more volatile and more unpredictive of success and can be produced without necessarily quote-unquote talent being attached to it. But it is also significant if you're that much of a part of your team's overall production. So it does have value, and so I do like it to break it down by Dominator. I actually put Dominators and Breakout Ages in the same tier, and I listed them both as Indicators, which is in that the Dominator scores, if they're over the average for their age or the conference of the team, I think it's a good indicator that this player is definitely worth the time investment to figure out more about. Do you really establish a large role, or is this just he only played one year, so on and so forth. And breakout age is the same thing. If you have a quote-unquote good breakout age at a 20 or a 30% threshold, 30% is typically the standard right now, but makes you miss a lot of players if it's the only thing you're looking at, which is why I like to list 20% in there too. But it's a good indicator that this player is probably playing at a high level fairly early in his career, which crosses the threshold of significantly 
high developing a role and performing on it. However, because it's just an average of an average, essentially, um, and a single number, more context is necessary, which is why I go after, if they have a good breakout age, I literally break into their dominator score by year to see how that was, was that just a single year? Was it a progressive year? How does that compare to players that have been successful in the past? And that's how I use them. It's indicative that there's more or less investigation necessary, or there was more or less interest, especially for someone like Jalen Waddle, who had a breakout age for the 20% threshold, especially under the threshold of aged uh, 20, I think the 20% threshold is. Um, it, it did indicate that he was doing well, a decent uh, a decent clip based on how, how old he was in college, um, and that there was something there. Some players, like Chase Claypool, has an older breakout age, or even Calvin Ridley, can be explained when you break into their dominators by year to see, well, they didn't really start playing till later, so their career arc is behind everyone else's. And the stat, as far as age goes, that you literally have to pay no attention to is the age they are when they're drafted. I don't think that indicates talent, because a player can start playing in college late, and and so on, and various other reasons. Not getting into it. It's just kind of obvious when you stop thinking numbers are magical. They're not. Neither are ages. And there is an advantage to being older in college in that you have more experience and more physical development. So you compare players with similar advantages to see if they're over those thresholds. That's why you adjust by age, and that's why you don't just adjust by uh, first year, second year, third year, or first year sophomore or whatever, because you're not comparing apples to apples. I did it anyway, yes, but that's actually what the line by line breakdown actually shows you're not comparing apples to apples when you do that it just sounds like you are and also this one player you want to look better is made to look better so that's ultimately why people do it in particular instances because we always try and bend numbers around to saying what we want them to say because stats i guess i don't know anyway so, uh, receiving yards per team pass attempt, market share receiving yards, followed by a, a, a third tier with dominators and breakout age in the same, because they, they work together as indicators for how well that player was establishing a role and performing on it. And after that, I have a fourth tier of stats, which are just combine stats. If you're going to ask me which ones I look at, it's not BMI, because at this point, I just got a bad taste in my mouth. But also... BMI is a junk number for so many reasons. It's literally rejected as a medical number, by the way, which is why it was originally created, because it does a very poor job of explaining bodies. But obviously, it's going to explain NFL athletics. I don't know where anyone got that idea. I really don't, but it doesn't. But not having that debate right again right now, what I will say is I would much rather look at height and weight separately, because essentially what I'm trying to do with that fourth tier is descriptive archetypes. How well do they compare to other types of players in the NFL? And what type of roles did they have? And how well does that compare to what they were doing in college? I think they're very descriptive and very useful for that fashion. I want to know their 40 time, their height, their weight. And one key, if I was to pick out one from the combine list, it would be the weight-adjusted speed score for wide receivers. Honestly, the height or weight-adjusted speed scores essentially the same results and it just reshuffles the list but ultimately you get the same tiers and um, but it's a good combination of both their size and their speed but i don't again i don't know why i would just look at weight adjusted team scores since it can hide things like a player with a weird high weight balance that doesn't quite compare to other players that have 
been good archetypes in the past, but have a significantly unusual 40 at the same time, so that they end up with a similar score, but look entirely different. So I'd much rather know literally the physical makeup of that player, relatively how athletic and fast they are, mostly as descriptive metrics for how they might fit in the NFL, which bleeds over into that second process where I'm trying to figure out how likely or how well might they transfer disability in college into the NFL, which is also where I fold in a lot of that tape analysis from other people, and draft capital comes in quite heavily as well for me at that point. Uh, or that's where I see it as fitting in because it's relatively how likely they are to get opportunity. Like, I, I, that's the value because numbers aren't magical. Like, being drafted in the first round doesn't make your legs more able to juke someone. So what value must it have? It must be the ease with which you can earn opportunity, at least initially, to try and transfer over your abilities into the NFL. That's that's what makes sense to me anyway. So those are my stats. Those are my tier lists. My tier one is receiving yards per team pass attempt. Tier two is market share receiving yards, or you can just rank them one and two. Except I think dominators and breakout ages, year-by-year dominators and breakout ages themselves, kind of form a tier by themselves and they're both equally ranked in that tier in my opinion but both kind of belong together as indicator stats of how interesting that player's overall production was and it's an interesting way of breaking down the career if you just wanted to look at one i do think looking at the year-by-year dominator and then overall at the breakout edge would give you a good sense of how they performed in college and then in that fourth tier i've got descriptive stats or descriptive measurements uh, from the combine that give me a decent idea of how they might fill a role in the NFL compared to previous NFL archetypes. And those are my stats for rookie evaluation. No idea where you'd only look at some, but those are the ones I find myself looking at most often. The year-by-year receiving yards per team pass attempt, the market share receiving yards, dominators and breakout ages, and then descriptive stats in a fourth tier just to give me an idea of how well they compare physically and to different archetypes that they might fulfill a similar role in the NFL. And that's it. I'm not going to ramble any more than that. The last one was not an hour and a half where I talked about a lot of other different stuff, which I think was interesting, but was wholly off the point and uh, may have slid the Dynasty Crossroads, as happens occasionally, away from being a show and more from being a place for me to mind splurge. And that's it. I made a list. I explained why and how I look at the things on that list. I believe that crosses the threshold of, uh, you know informative and uh, i'm maintaining a show structure i'm not going to break down into a 30 minute rant about one particular aspect of that no sir no sir no but seriously thanks for listening to the show i'm gonna get out of here before i do something like that um hope you found it interesting if you want to see any of those stats because literally I'm trying to learn because we get told things and never shown things. It's still, even now, even today, like years after I started this, we've got Dave Wright making his own database, and that's it. That's been the change since I started doing this. More people, me and Dave Wright basically, actually put out stats where you can go and look for yourself and, and learn to test and learn to understand or at least get a decent experience of looking at college statistics and realizing how much of it is actually untrue or unuseful if you rank players by it. 
and developing your own way of looking at it. This is me and Dave Wright out here. He's got a Patreon. Go check him out at FS Spaceman. My my database is always set for in season. I'm pinning the yearly data, but you can also find the link to the database that's usually pinned there. It's just a link to a Google Sheet document for free, so you can figure it out. So if you disagree with anything I just said or some what someone else says. You can literally go show why you're right or why you're wrong and maybe learn how the middle is true or discover something else entirely because no, no still no one's doing it for us. You just get told to swallow the Dominator pill and it's not true. Uh, so, yeah. Hope you're having a nice day. Yeah, I'm going to get out of here. Thanks again. Um, you can see us again on that weekly show where instead of just being more holistic and talking about future events like we are on the crossroads right now, literally talking about rookies when there's still football to play. And then you can come see me, Dynasty Outhouse, sometimes Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies podcast, and talk about more immediate decisions. Who do I trade for? Who do I start? How do you do either of those things in fantasy football and dynasty fantasy football um, on Wednesdays at 9.30 in the, the, the Dynasty Grind show that live streams to both YouTube and uh, Twitch and Twitter and wherever live streams go. I don't know. I assume they just throw them up in the air and some platforms catch them. And you can catch them there. Either you can come join us live and literally ask us questions, or you can catch the show after it airs, after 9.30 uh, Eastern Standard Time on YouTube, Twitch, and uh, I think there are other places it goes. Facebook, maybe? I know, I haven't logged into Facebook for a long time, but it's probably on there. Um, yeah. See, see you around. Thanks very much. I'm going. Any minute now. Have a nice day. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroad. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.